And so, Father, uh, teach us as we open our Bibles now. And let the Word of God be rich and meaningful to us, that it would refresh us and renew us and prepare us for another week, that we would walk in faithfulness before you, and that we would indeed be unashamed of the cross of Christ, uh, wherein is our hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the faithfulness of your promises in your word. And now may we be encouraged by them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have referenced in the past um, the, the occasion when I was in junior high and we finally got done with the textbook session of our industrial arts class. You know, our shop class in junior high. And you're all keyed up to get down in the shop and use tools. And for like the first six weeks, you've got to do the bookwork and learning. And finally, Mr. Nielsen, our shop teacher, took us down into the shop. And uh, the first day, of course, was safety. We all have our safety glasses on and we gather around the bandsaw in the carpentry shop. And Mr. Nielsen turned it on and he took a piece of one by four and he whacked it right through the blade and of course it cut it off and flung it right against and bounced off the block wall and he turned to us and said, boys, it'll do the same thing with your fingers. A lesson to be learned. And this morning as we continue kind of laying a groundwork for our mindset and our foundation for introduction, will you turn to Acts chapter 5 to a familiar story and let's ask ourselves what Jesus would do if he was our industrial arts teacher. If Jesus was our industrial arts teacher, what kind of lesson would he teach? In Acts chapter 5, we're jumping into an interesting story, um, familiar perhaps to most of you. And this is early in the history of the church. The Lord Jesus has gone back to heaven. The apostles are teaching. The church is being established and growing. And all of a sudden, they had an occurrence at the church in Jerusalem one day, whereby a young couple sold some land and lied about giving the money to the church. Let's just read a couple verses here, catch the flavor. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, verse 1, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. He brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it all belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. What a wake-up call for the early church. Our God is a God of truthfulness. Our God is a God who does not like false witness. And our God is a God who, out of his own holy character, that when he speaks, it's reliable. Now, I think if God was your industrial arts teacher, what he would do, based upon these illustrations in Scripture over and over that are so dramatic, I mean, can you imagine the word getting through the church? Did you hear what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Did you hear what happened? They were going to schnooker. They were, they were posturing that they gave all the money from the land that they sold because they wanted to be like Barnabas and for everybody to clap for them. And God struck them dead right in front of the church. Can you imagine this? I and mean, this is God in industrial arts class. Hey, Louie, come up here. 
Grab him by the arm, whang him right through the bandsaw. There, boys, you'll lose your hand if you... <laughs> it almost seems overly harsh, doesn't it? It's like, this is God in the New Testament church, in the era of grace, saying, don't lie. Your word must mean something. Bam. We're in Genesis chapter 9 in our Genesis series, and I think you'll be able to put together later why I'm emphasizing the importance of words and truthfulness. Ultimately, what we're looking at this morning is that when God says something, He means it and He never lies. In Genesis chapter 9, we are halfway through the chapter. We have Noah off the ark. Do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? We've had kind of a new beginning following the flood, this incredible, devastating, destructive uh, force whereby God scoured off the earth. And now Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives are off the ark. God has implemented the death penalty. We saw that two weeks ago. And that is a standing order for today as well. This is part of the protection of the sanctity of human life. And that all cultures and societies, this is foundational. How they view life is foundational to an orderly system. We also notice that he... he uh, allows man to eat meat, and he tells us not to eat animals with the blood in it. We're not animals. We aren't like a coyote that jumps on a rabbit and devours it while it's still living with the blood in it. We're humans, and we're even to take care and be good stewards of the earth and the animals, but we do have protection, do have the, the right uh, to eat animals and slaughter them, and God implements the eating of meat at this point. And then we get to the end of chapter 9, and we have what Bible scholars and Bible students have named the Noahic Covenant. Noahic, as in Noah's Covenant. And what's a covenant? It's a commitment of your word, isn't it? We'll look at this in a little more detail, but since it's been a couple weeks, I think it would be uh, prudent for us to take just a minute, as we want to do throughout the entire book of Genesis, because we want you to be able to think through your Bible. And so let's just remind ourselves where we've been in our little walkthrough. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 was creation, right? Genesis chapter 3 was fall. Genesis chapter 4 was murder, right? And, and sin begins to just destroy culture. As a result of chapter 3, the fall. Chapter 4, murder. Chapter 5, remember chapter 5? We, we called it from Adam to Noah. It's the genealogies. It's the long life genealogies where they lived 900 years. And they really did. And so we call that from Adam to Noah, long life. Remember it that way, chapter 5. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 were the flood. Right? Let's do that together now. Ready? Here we go. Chapters 1 and 2 are? Creation. Say it again better. Chapters 1 and 2? Chapter 3 is? Fall. Okay, chapters 1 and 2? Chapter 3 is? Chapter 4 is? Murder. Chapter 5 is? Long life. Adam to Noah, right? The genealogy from Adam to Noah. Here we go. Chapter 1 and 2 is? Chapter 3 is? Chapter 4 is? Chapter 5 is? Long life. Adam to Noah. Chapters 6, 7, and 8. Flood, yeah, can't forget that. What an incredible, incredible story. And now we're in chapter 9. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 is the death penalty. Well, we'll remember that, okay? Let's just say that together. Chapter 9. And we're going to say rainbow, okay? The rainbow. God's covenant sign. 
Now let's look in this passage, let's read it, and we're going to find that this has everything to do with a lesson on the reliability of God's Word. What an incredible concept. So God tells him to be fruitful, verse 7, and fill the earth, refill the earth. And then, verse 8, chapter 9 of Genesis, look closely, follow along as I read our text now. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there, will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. We'll stop there for today. Did you pick up on a key word in that passage? He says the word covenant eight times in that short passage. God is really driving something home. He repeats it over and over. This is my covenant. And this is what I mean in my covenant. And this is the sign of my covenant. And this is what I mean. This is it. Well, let's break it down and see what God has to say in this covenant. And let's uh, just kind of examine it, okay? And we'll find another number of characteristics about this covenant. You need to know uh, before we move ahead that this is the first covenant whereby God says, this is my covenant. Some Bible students believe there's an Adamic, as in Adam, an Adamic covenant uh, that Adam broke. He violated the standard. God and Adam had an agreement, had a covenant, and Adam disobeyed and he violated. It was a conditional covenant. If you do this, then this. You'll see in the Noahic covenant... That it's an unconditional, we'll see that in a few minutes, that it doesn't have anything to do with what man does. This is all about God's promise that's significant when we look ahead to it as a foreshadowing of what is the new covenant. Let's just think through our Bible for just a minute. In a few weeks, we're going to encounter another covenant, an important covenant that has ramifications for today. It's right at the heart of the Israeli-Arab conflict. It's what Bible students call the Abrahamic covenant whereby God made a promise to Abraham. Later on, as we get into the book, end of Genesis, into the book of Exodus and the life of Moses, we have another covenant where God makes a Mosaic covenant, the covenant of Moses. Later on, we encounter in the book of the Kings, we encounter that young giant killer David, and there's a Davidic covenant, a covenant as to who will be on the throne and of his descendants. And it's a covenant that God makes. And so we see in Scripture these covenants that God makes, ultimately in the New Testament. And next week, on Sunday morning next week, if you're here, we will partake in communion. Last week we had missions uh, conference. 
And then this week, we, I needed to show that video. And so next week, communion got bumped to next week, and that's fine. And we will celebrate the new covenant. And do you remember those words of our Lord Jesus? And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my cup. This is the new covenant. It's a new agreement, a new arrangement. All right? Some of these covenants are conditional and some are unconditional and they're interesting to study out. And we'll talk more about them when we encounter, for example, the Abrahamic covenant coming up in just a couple chapters. We will then encounter the life of Abraham. And then the history of Israel just takes off in the book of Genesis as we study it. And so as we look at the Noahic covenant, let's break it down and understand its parts. And let's see exactly what kind of a covenant it is. And let's see if we can learn a few lessons from it this morning, okay? First of all, let's go back to verse 9 in chapter 9 and let's see what he says. Verse 8 says, God said to Noah and his sons with him, verse 9, I now establish my covenant with you. The first thing we see as we begin to understand the Noahic covenant, number one, that this covenant is personal. It is a personal covenant. God personally defines And describes what this arrangement is. God is speaking and it's personal. He personally initiates it. He personally defines it. What's significant about that is, is that therefore this covenant is only as good as God's word. I think we'll realize as we go along that God's word is reliable. It's a personal covenant. Notice right away then in 9b, secondly, it's a generational covenant. It's a generational covenant. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my personal covenant with you and your descendants after you. It's generational. Look down to verse 12b. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant, look, for all generations. You could even add there that it is a perpetual covenant. It's generational and it's perpetual to all generations. It doesn't stop. As long as there are generations living on the earth, this covenant stands. God spoke it. This is what it is. And it won't change. This covenant is personal. It is generational. It's perpetual. I want you to see verse 10. Number four, it's universal. And with every living creature that was with you, All your descendants and every living creature that was with you, the birds and the livestock and all the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. By the way, there's another little hint right there, isn't there? I have been encountering in so many different formats... um, this great, there's been quite a movement in the, in the last number of years for evangelical scholars to turn to a local flood, flood theory. Let me get that out. A local flood theory and to buy into the day-age theory that, that the earth couldn't be a young earth. It couldn't have been just spoken into existence maybe seven to 10,000 years ago, but we needed eons of time to go by in each of those creative, creative days. And then when we get to chapter six, seven, and eight, it was a local flood. And when we read the passage, though, you can't get that out of the passage, can you? Because look, even here, God's covenant is universal to all people around the earth and to all the animals even. He's even making an assurance to the wildlife kingdom that he won't kill them off the face of the earth again. If it was a local Mesopotamian regional flood, you have to believe that animals could have fled the region and migrated. 
How could this make sense in this passage that all, every living creature on earth, it says, the end of verse 10. When you read your Bible, pick up on things like that. There it is, right there. This was a worldwide universal flood. And as we've said once again, isn't that what the surface of the earth shows us all around the world? Sedimentary, sand and rock, layers of mud, and so forth. Well, we see that this is a universal flood. It is a universal covenant. It is to all people and to all animals all around the world. He's going to define this covenant. Let's read it now. Verse 11, I will establish my covenant. I establish my covenant with you. And here it is. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You also need to read your Bible with comprehension and think things like this. What are we being told right now? We're being told that because of the dangers of fossil fuels, that the earth is warming and that the polar caps are going to melt and that ultimately the earth is going to flood. And entire continents are going to be covered up and man will eventually put himself out of existence unless we stop burning fossil fuels. I want to tell you something. I'm not a good scientist, and I don't know that much about it, and I know these things are complicated, but God made the earth to survive, and we will not, based upon the authority of God's word, ever melt the the polar caps enough to flood the world. God said, I'll never flood you again. And they're held back by God's word. And we already saw an illustration early on in the message this morning that God takes very seriously what people say. He doesn't mess around with words. God doesn't. And God said right here, I'll never flood you again. Do not buy into that. It's personal covenant. It's a generational covenant. It's a perpetual covenant. It's universal to all people and animals everywhere. And now we see in verse 11 when he says, never again. I get the idea that God's taken a breath. The flood has taken place. And remember we emphasized in the flood story that this is an incredibly serious concept. This is no kid's story. This is a story about the wrath of Almighty God dealing judgment upon sinners. God doesn't play around with sin. And one of the spiritual laws of the universe is that the wages of sin is death. It doesn't matter if you don't like God's rules. It doesn't matter if you think another system works God is the author of it, and God is a holy, righteous God. And based upon that authority, he says, I will judge all sin. Then he says in the Noahic covenant, but I will never do this again. You know what I get out of that? You kind of got Noah getting off the ark, right? Made it through that one, Mabel. Ain't God good? And the first thing he does is what? He offers up his worship and sacrifice. And then God speaks to Noah, and the next thing he says after this instruction about the sanctity of life in the first part of the chapter, he says, and Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm going to make a covenant with all generations to come, and this covenant is going to show forth my mercy. I'll never do this again. Let me ask you a question. Does God owe Noah anything? Does God owe us anything? No. 
We're the ones who turn away, aren't we? We're the ones who love to spit in His face. We're the ones who always, always have this pride and arrogance and selfishness that, that just divides us from a loving Heavenly Father. And so we've seen His wrath demonstrated in an incredible illustration of the worldwide flood scouring the earth. And now He says, but I'm going to make a covenant with you. And it is now, it is a merciful covenant. It's a merciful covenant. I'm going to hold back my wrath in this area. By the way, the Bible is an interesting book and we won't take time to look there yet this morning. We've looked at it in the past in our Genesis series. But perhaps you're new to the Scriptures and to the Word of God and if you want to know how the world will be destroyed, you can read 2 Peter chapter 3 and there God using the flood as an illustration that by the very word with which he brought the flood, one day God with his very word will destroy the world by fire. After the events of the book of Revelation, tribulation period and the millennial kingdom on earth, God says enough's enough. And once again at the end of that great kingdom where Jesus Christ himself will rule on earth for a thousand years, man's heart will rebel. And God is going to scour the earth with fire at that point. That's what's going to bring it to an end eventually. In the meantime, the earth, you'll find, is very resilient. It was made for people to sustain people. Its resources were put here for us to use and to develop. Yes, we're to be good stewards, but it's all there for us to use. We're here for a reason, and God put the earth here to sustain life. Well, this covenant is personal, this covenant is generational, this covenant is perpetual, this covenant is universal, this covenant is merciful. Notice now that he talks about the rainbow. Chapter 9 is about the rainbow. When we, when we go through our timeline and we say chapter 9, we're going to say death penalty, rainbow. Okay? And chap- verse 12, look what he says. And God said, verse 12, and this is the sign of the covenant I am making. Between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant. We will see as we make our way through the Word of God, as we encounter these covenants, that every covenant that God makes with man has a sign. For example, in the Abrahamic covenant, do you know what the sign is? Circumcision. We'll talk about that when we get there. Under the Mosaic covenant, you know what the... The sign is the keeping of the Sabbath day. And so it goes. Under the new covenant, you know what the symbol is? Come next Sunday and you'll see it. The bread and the cup are the symbols of the new covenant. God always puts a symbol in place. Why? Because we're always thinking about other things, aren't we? And God builds systems and symbols into our world so that when we see these things, oh yes, we will remember. But notice, I want you to notice, this is a visual that God gives, the rainbow, but I think it's very interesting in verse 16, look at verse 16, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, notice this line, have you remembered that this was here? I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And that's God speaking. Again, it's a personification. It's not that God can forget. God can't forget unless he wants to. 
And in fact, that's one of the realities of the forgiveness of sin under the blood of Christ, under the new covenant. God says, those who are in Christ, who've had their sin forgiven through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who became our substitute and took our punishment for our sin, and we receive that as a gift, a free gift of our salvation, and we become a child of God, God says, the ones who are covered in the blood of Christ under the new covenant, I forget their sin, I remember it no more. But other than that, God can't forget. This is a way for us to understand that when God sees a rainbow, what he, one of the things he's thinking about is he's thinking about this covenant to all generations that's perpetual and universal to all people of all times. So the next time you see a rainbow, and we almost always, don't we still point out rainbows, right? Oh, come look, mommy, there's a rainbow. And I'll come in the house, Danny, Jonathan, come look, there's a rainbow. And God designed our atmosphere so that after a rainstorm and so forth, and when the sun shines through, there's a beautiful spectrum of light. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? Being distorted and hijacked by a sinful group of people right now as their symbol so that when people look at that, they think of something. But God says, this is a symbol of my covenant and my promise to you. And when I see it, I will never forget that I promised I won't flood you again and all the animals can relax even if there's a local flood and the next time the rain is beating on the roof and it seems like it's never going to stop and the wind is blowing and it might even bring devastating destruction in our sin-cursed world. And you might see houses swept off their foundations and cattle stuck in bridges as rivers sweep through. You know that in a day or two it goes away and the water subsides And life goes back to normal because God is a merciful God and he's sparing us his wrath for another day. And that rainbow, and I was thinking about this. If you stop and think about it, I didn't do any research on it, but I'm going to guess that it would be accurate to say that at any given time, anywhere around the world, there's got to be rainbows. Wouldn't you think somewhere there's a rainbow right now? Maybe many rainbows. So, Every day, all the time, God sees a rainbow. And he's reminded to hold back his wrath another day. I'm a merciful God. I've made a covenant that I won't destroy the world like this. I think it's interesting. I don't know why God saw the need to make this covenant. It's kind of like he's always tempted to turn on the spigot and flood him away, wash off the earth again. But nope, I made a promise, I'm not going to do that. Because have you ever stopped to think, and I, I think this often, when I get in a, a bad situation with people or I'm in, a, in the middle of the night in an emergency room in a hospital and I can see the devastating results of sin or I'm watching a news show that is some, about some grotesque sin that is going on and it's just one isolated event, I think, what must God see all the time? If you were the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God, and you you knew all the time every sinful act going on around the world, how could you not be tempted on any given minute to want to scour off the earth? I watch Channel 7 News most of the time at 11 o'clock at night. I usually try to catch the front. But I've gotten pretty good at predicting what the lead story is going to be. We have breaking news. Down at such and such an address, there's been a shooting. Every night they're shooting each other, killing each other, raping each other, murdering each other. And that has, that's only just a couple things that make the news. 
in all these households and all these pitiful children and all these pitiful women who are being abused and all these pitiful people who are addicted to their drugs and all of the pitiful, horrible sexual sin going on and all the perversion and all the distortion and all of this all around from the face of the earth coming up all the time to God. All the time. He sees it all. How overwhelming is that? And certainly he must want to say, let me scour the earth off. He says, no, there's a rainbow. And there's a rainbow over the tropics. And there's a rainbow down in the Bahamas right now. And hey, there's one over, I don't know if they go over the Arctic Circle or not, but there it is. There's a rainbow. Wow. No, I'm not going to flood the earth again. I'm not going to destroy them right now. It's a visual sign. One Bible commentary made note that it, it's a bow. Okay, as in a shooting bow, a, a, a warrior's bow. And another point about the rainbow, and I don't know, God doesn't say this in the Bible, but the rainbow is, is, is a warrior's bow represented, is facing away from the earth. It's going to shoot its arrows away from the earth if it were a, a bow and arrow, a warrior's bow. Another reminder that God's wrath is reflected away from the earth at this point. We're in a window of time, of opportunity, of enjoying the grace and the mercy of God. But it's a window. It won't last forever. So this covenant is visual. Notice then, as we just step back from the passage, we pretty well have gotten it. We understand it. We recognize also then that this is an unconditional covenant. It's unconditional. And the point there being what? That it doesn't take an agreement between man and God. It's a God-agreed concept. This is what I'm going to do. I wonder if you've ever approached anything in your life like that. I hope you have. I hope at least you've approached maybe your marriage vows like that. And when you stand in front of the church and you made your vows, and I promise to love you in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, till death do us part. I know when I said my vows, it's unconditional. It doesn't matter what you do. You got me. It's like the, like the lady that was so mad at her husband and she decided, I'm leaving him. So she goes, stomps in the bedroom and slams the door. She gets her suitcase out. She starts throwing her stuff in the suitcase and the, the husband walks in, opens the door, gets his suitcase out, puts it up beside her. She, what are you doing? He said, well, you're packing to leave. I am too. I'm going with you. An unconditional vow. We're not very good at unconditional vows, are we? We love conditions. If you do this, then I'll do this. And if you don't do this, well then, fooey on you. Right? And we live in an era of, of prenuptial agreements with the, the rich and the famous. And on their third or fourth marriage, they finally learned that it's not going to last very long, so they better get them to sign on the dotted line about all their yachts and their houses and their jewelry and their rights to their films and their music records that you don't get any of that if we split. What is that all about? I'll tell you what that is. That is, I don't really trust your word. Do you know that we have a God who makes unconditional promises and he keeps his word no matter what? No matter what. It's an unconditional covenant. I jotted down also that I find it a helpful covenant because it gives us a picture inside the mind of God. We know what he's thinking. He told us what he's thinking here. I'm not going to destroy the earth. 
I want to preserve you, and this is a time of mercy. And then finally, I want you to see, and you could write down a couple different words on this point. I'm going to use the word typical, but I'm using it in a theological way. You might put in parentheses educational. We can learn something from this, or it means something. Of all the covenants, the Noahic covenant, the first covenant that we run into in the Bible, just nine chapters in, God says eight times, I'm going to make a covenant, I'm going to make a covenant, I'm going to make a covenant. It's typical, that is, it is a type of, it is representative of, in many regards, there are parallels to the Noahic covenant, clear down to what we do next Sunday morning when we remind ourselves of the new covenant in Christ's blood. That he has made another covenant. That in Christ we have forgiveness of sin. And that's an unconditional covenant. You see, our salvation in Christ under the new covenant is not conditional. That is, you can't, you can't lose it once you have it. You don't have to do anything to get it. Other than the reality of humbling your heart and receiving it as a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't get cleaned up enough to come to God. You don't say, well, Pastor Rand, you don't understand. God just would not have me. I am too, I'm too rotten of a sinner. Well, I'll tell you something. You're exactly who he's looking for. You're exactly the kind of person that when Jesus put his arms out on the cross and those old Roman soldiers nailed him there and his blood flowed, it was for you that he died. Because he knew you had a problem you couldn't solve. You're too dirty. You're too rotten of a sinner. I'm too rotten of a sinner. And this is an unconditional agreement. That he that hath the Son has life. It's not if you do this and if you do this, then you'll do this. And if you don't do this, then you can't have it anymore. I'm going to make an agreement with you. That by grace that I'll give you, through faith that I'll give you, you come to Jesus. The bad news is you're a dirty, rotten sinner. The good news is Jesus took your place and your punishment so that in the eyes of God, you'll be able to be forgiven once and for all. Judicially laid down, declared righteous. That's why you come to God just as you is. We sing a song about that, don't we? At invitation time sometimes. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. See, you don't have to do anything. You just have to come take it. I mean, you could say you have to do that. Yeah. You've got to, I guess, release your stubborn, mule-headed pride and arrogance. And admit your sinfulness and receive the forgiveness of God, of Christ through the work of God. And so this Noahic covenant in its unconditional sense prepares the way for us to understand a new covenant someday. Well, that's the covenant and kind of breaks it down, these few verses. What are we going to take home with us today? How do we apply this to our lives? What do I, what's going to enrich me here? Let Let me just crank off three things real quick. Number one is theological. Let's learn something theological from this passage. Let's learn about one of the attributes of God. This attribute is his immutability. Do you know that word? That God is immutable. Immutable. The immutability of God. You know what it means? It means that he never changes. God is an unchanging God. And that's partly 
at the basis of the reality of the fact that when God makes a promise, it can't change because God doesn't change. Along with his immutability, that's the framework and the foundation for another attribute of God that we can take home with us today and find comfort in, and that is the reliability of God. He's not like some other religion gods. Of course, they're made up by men, but you've got to worry about what kind of rice you feed the God that day, or he might get angry and burn your house down. This is a God who makes covenants, and he stands by his agreement, and he's immutable, and he's totally reliable, and you don't have to live in fear. Uh, was what he says he does he means it's real that's the kind of god we have you might jot down a verse to look up later hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 it says there it is impossible for god to lie it is impossible for god to lie Do you see why the ninth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor? Do you see why God would strike somebody down dead in front of a New Testament church? Because out of his character, his law comes and the guidelines come and his character is an immutability and unchangingness and an utter reliability so that when he says something, he can't lie. It's real and it doesn't change and he despises falsehood. It all comes right from the character of God. Second thing we can take home with us today, besides a theological term, immutability, and a little glimpse of an understanding of God, theological lesson, God is immutable, God is reliable. Second lesson is in the area of the spiritual. A spiritual lesson today. I've referenced it already with the communion table and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Noahic covenant brings us a little closer to understanding how God loves us unconditionally and made an agreement unconditionally with us that in Christ I forgive you of your sin and now you're mine forever and that'll never change. I find that to be a great reality that he that hath the Son hath life. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. He's not an unchanging God and he can't lie and if you have the Son, you have life. And God cannot renounce his own word. The second lesson that's helpful to us today is in the area of our salvation. Rest in your salvation. Know that if you have the Son, you have life. That if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can't change. He can't take his word back. He's immutable and he cannot lie. And if you've received that free gift of salvation and your sin is forgiven, rest in the promises. Thirdly, though, is kind of what I had on my heart this morning because, do you know, we've been in, uh, we've been in difficult days in some ways at Fellowship Bible Church. There are good days here right now, many good things happening, but we've been being tested physically, it seems, at a number of levels. And the third lesson I wanted to, you to take home from the Noahic Covenant today is just a practical lesson. A theological lesson, he's immutable, he's reliable. A spiritual lesson, rest in the promises of your salvation. A practical lesson, and it is this. If you're not in a dark day, your dark day is coming, my friend. Do you know that? Even if you're a believer in the Lord Christ. Your day is coming when a doctor will look at you and say, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's malignant. Your day is coming when the phone will ring and they will tell you we need you to come down to the police station 
and the worst case scenario has taken place with one of your children. Your day is coming when you will pull in the driveway and there will be nothing there but a foundation and the fire has done its work. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that Job said, man is born unto trouble just as sure as the sparks fly upward. You got to quit thinking that by next Thursday, if I can just get my garage clean and get my bathroom clean and get my car cleaned, get my bills paid, then starting next Thursday, everything's going to be great. It doesn't work that way this side of heaven. Starting next Thursday will be a whole new set of problems. You say, I am so glad I came to church this morning. I am so encouraged, Pastor Van. Now listen to me. I live in a real world. I don't live in a make-believe world. And I don't do this for fun. It's not that fun to me. It's a privilege, but it's not that fun to me. I'd rather work for outdoor life and test field equipment and rifles. The day's coming when your loved one will be in the box right here and I'm the one that has to be in the pulpit. And the day's coming when we sit at your bedside and we try to process together that that's not an abscess in your lung. It's something solid. It could be the cancer's going crazy throughout your body. We just don't know. You know what you need to think about at those days? You need to think about the Noahic covenant. You say, yeah, right. Yes, you do. You need to learn the lesson from the Noahic covenant and is this, that God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God and his promises are absolutely, utterly reliable. And I want to tell you, you, you get down and you, you grab a hold of the promises of God and you know that you have an immutable, reliable God who saved your soul from the slime pit and he's going to get you through whatever it is. You say, well, he didn't get Ray Toothman through very well, did he? He'll explain to us on the other side of heaven why he answered our prayer by healing Ray on the other side of the river. But I'll tell you this much, Ray wouldn't come back for 10 seconds if he could. Listen, God's people need to get to where they are completely comfortable with God's promises. We need to be stable. We need to look at God and know that He is a reliable, unchanging, truth-telling God. Let me give you one in closing. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Just this past Thursday afternoon, Wayne LaHue's bedside, he only had a minute. He wanted us to quit talking to him and get out of his room. He's miserable. Cheat teeth chattering with fever. Just miserable. I said, Wayne, before I go, let me just show you one more time. And I whipped my pocket testament out and I said, and we've looked at it before, but I said, Wayne, let me just show you one real quick. Just remember this, Wayne. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, the Lord says, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. You do not have to be afraid what men can do unto you. That's based on the psalmist in Psalm 118, 6 and 7. That's a promise. So why doesn't he break my fever right now? Why doesn't he heal? I don't have an answer for everything God does in his timetable and all of the residuals of living in a sin-cursed world where the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But I know this. His promises are absolutely reliable and he's an unchanging God and he said it and so therefore it's true. And I base my life on that presupposition. You can criticize me if you want, but I'm sticking to it.
That's my story and that's it. I believe it's true. And part of the reason I believe it is because of the Noahic covenant and what he taught me right there. It's time for us to stop falling apart in the day of destruction. It's time for us to stop having meltdowns over things that might or might not be so serious. And I'm not saying we're not emotional people and I'm not saying there aren't days where our faith is basically gone and he's promised us on that one, hasn't he, in Timothy? I will be faithful even when you are faithless. It's time for us to latch on to these promises and for, to make that our foundation and for a watching world to see that there's something crazy about those church people. You can't shake them up very easily. You can't shake me up because I have an unshakable God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we need these lessons today. We have so many areas of adversity to deal with and, and thank you from this example way back in Genesis that you are a merciful God and that you, when you make a promise, you keep it and, and that we learn from the earliest covenants that it's the truth and you don't tolerate misinformation and that because that is true, we have reason to believe that all your other promises are true as well. So help us to grow in our faith. Help us to walk in the truth. Help us to be stable and at rest with who you are, and that you are God and we are not, but we'll just trust you each step of the way. And we will find you, at the end of the day, a faithful God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.